Ho, 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 ho. Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective, boys and girls. And please, no cookies, because I'm getting riddled with diabetes from these fucking cookies every year. So welcome, everybody, to the Bill Bradley Collective. I hope you're having a great holiday season as we continue our shopping in COVID times. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing well. That, uh... That impression brought back some nightmares of uh, seeing seeing mommy kiss Santa Claus at the child. The weird thing was, it wasn't my mom, and you weren't Santa Claus. So strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, we 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 had to rent the house out to hobos. <laughs> yeah, we we had a cuckold voyeur fetish being run out of our living room. <laughs> How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing okay. Uh, mall, mall Santas cannot possibly be a thing in this day and age, right? In this year of 2020? Uh, no, it's it, 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 it's worse. Uh, because we live now in a dystopia, uh, currently in downtown New London, there is a Santa sitting behind glass windows at an old uh, antique store, waving at the children as they go by like he's in some kind of Pope mobile. No, you know what uh, it is? So- it, it, it's like hookers in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the red. It's uh, it gives a. It's the red nose district. <laughs> All right. So let us get to our questions of the day now, Andrew. We're going to switch up a little bit, and as everyone knows, this is dead or alive, our favorite game. Um, it's drawing. I think we hit a thousand viewers on our OnlyFans page just last week. Is that right, Andrew? About a uh, about a thousand. Brandon, yeah. you're the one that get yeah, it was, the it, merch. Last out. I checked, it was twelve hundred and twenty-eight. Twelve twenty-eight yeah. is what I saw yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's not too shabby. Uh, it really, I I know it really went up when I bought the nipple rings. So um, <laughs> here, here, <laughs> Andrew. The problem with doing the baseball players is these people never fucking die. So we're switching to boxers. Oh, jeez. Okay. This man was a featherweight, super featherweight, and lightweight champion of the world. And as a lightweight, he defeated Boom Boom Mancini in one of the most famous boxing matches of that year. He lost the junior welterweight title when Aaron Pryor... Uh, had a mystery bottle. Who is this featherweight, light, uh, super featherweight, and lightweight champion from Nicaragua and boxing hall of famer? Alexis Arguello. That is true. Is he alive or dead? Damn. I, I think he's alive. No. 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 1995. <sighs> Shit. Um, how about Boom Boom Mancini? Is he alive or dead? He is alive. A Boomba Mancini is alive, so but he yeah. has uh, he has somebody's. Oh, I don't want to get. I don't want to go there, but <laughs> yeah, it, he always optimistic, Andrew. Yeah, he's got. Uh, so you got two out of three. Two out of three becomes a big issue on this show because it's veto day. <laughs> Zach, I mentioned later on for obvious reasons that I felt like Franklin Roosevelt, who had the most vetoes of any president. Who had the most vetoes in a single term? Who vetoed the most bills in a single term? It is not FDR. It's not FDR. It's not Clinton. It's not Obama, not Bush. I'm going to go. He socks a second overall for the most. 
He had five hundred. He had four hundred forty-five in the first term, and a, a, just about a hundred in the second. He's one of your faves. Is it, Gro- is it Grover Cleveland? It is Grover Cleveland. How did you pull that one out? Ding ding ding. When you said when you said it is first term, I thought the only way he's saying this is because he served two non-consecutive terms. <laughs> yes, Grover Grover Cleveland. I'm very so, I'm very excited about that one. Yeah. <laughs> So we will be back. Which, by the way, also why, also why Joe Biden is the 45th president, not 46th. Yes, he should count once. So, Zach, what will you be ranting about? I'll be ranting about the looming government shutdown and the valiant effort uh, being put up by the great senator from the state of Vermont, everyone's favorite socialist, Bernie Sanders. Andrew? I'm going to talk about the televised debut of the next great woods on the golf scene. And I will be talking about why Andrew Giuliani and Susan Rice do not have enough in common to to fit in the same article. But because this is our Christmas episode, we have a Christmas miracle. Brandon, what will you be ranting about? I'm going to rant about the uh, the newest fran- sports franchise to jump on the bandwagon of naming their team after their sport. Following the Washington football team is the Cleveland baseball team. All right. And we are the New London Podcast. We will be back right after this with the Bill Bradley Collective. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Coming to you from the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So I'll be uh, starting off our rants this week uh, on a topic that is very relevant to what we're going through right now. Uh, We're recording this podcast on Saturday the 19th. Uh, the funding for the government was supposed to run out last night, uh, the 18th at midnight, and they passed a two day, uh, continuing resolution that will now expire, uh, Sunday at midnight. And what will happen if they don't come to an agreement is that the government will shut down in the middle of a pandemic, uh, because essentially they can't agree on COVID relief. And if anyone remembers, about eight eight months ago, people got about twelve hundred bucks, and uh, that was supposed to float them for the pandemic, and it didn't. Surprisingly, we had uh, nearly a million uh, people unemployed on the job rolls in the last uh, update. And one of the reasons why they can't come to an agreement is over direct payments, is over corporate liability shield, is over unemployment insurance, and is over state and local uh, government funding which are all things that are desperately needed. Now, the Democrats, in their uh, wisdom of being the best negotiators in the world, uh, were willing to accept no direct payments, a corporate liability shield, and some funding to state and local governments. When that didn't work, they were then willing to accept a lower amount of uh, direct payments and no state and uh, city funding and a, a cut in unemployment insurance but still having the corporate liability shield so that, you know, Purdue chicken uh, can be protected from lawsuits after they have essentially killed 
uh, a significant amount of their workers by not having safety protocols. Now, a lot of this is not only the Democrats' fault. A lot of this is the Republicans' fault, too. It's Mitch McConnell holding things up. It's Ron Johnson holding things up. And this is one of the biggest issues you see with, like, Joe Biden's I can reach across the aisle and work with Mitch McConnell. No, you can't. No, you can't. And this is where we are as a country that in the middle of a pandemic, we can't even fund our government because we can't agree on how much, how little we should give people, which brings me to the only fucking person in American politics who actually is giving a shit about people and trying to ensure that people can live and have food on their table and have job protections and public services can continue. And that's Bernie fucking Sanders. And we know Bernie Sanders is doing this in good faith, unlike Josh Hawley, who is doing this for political expediency as he wants to be the heir to Trump's uh, uh, Fuhrer chair, I guess. But Bernie Sanders for 30 years has been fighting for people. Bernie Sanders for the next 30 years will be fighting for people. Bernie Sanders right now is the only person in Congress. AOC is not doing this. Ayanna Presley's not doing this. Nancy Pelosi's not doing this. None of them are doing this. Only Bernie Sanders is saying we must give $1,200 to families and $500 to their kids with funding for state and local government. And that it, it, it is it reminds me of the primary when people said, oh, you know, you guys just deify Bernie. It's not about Bernie. I don't give a fuck if Bernie Sanders you know, is the president or not. I would prefer it because I agree with him because he does things like this. But that's not what we get. Instead, we get all these compromises and half measures and how much can we screw over people and how much can we protect corporations. And it's just mind boggling that after nine months of this utter misery cast upon the people of this country through like sickness and unemployment and food hunger. I mean, food lines for years that it's still only Bernie Sanders is still the only one up there fucking fighting. And you know what? We don't deserve to have a president like Bernie Sanders. We don't deserve to have a senator in Congress like Bernie Sanders, because at the end of the day, the one thing we've learned, the one thing I've learned from this whole pandemic is that we are a reactionary, conservative, individualistic, selfish, and functionally cruel country. And that is what the government has given to us. And that is what we've done as a government. We can't even, we can't even decide to provide a little bit of relief to people. The only way we can provide relief for people is if we protect corporations who have punished people during COVID. And it's just another reason why Bernie Sanders is the moral compass of this country. And we have just castigated him and cast him off to the side as if he doesn't fucking matter. Because you know what? He's going to lose. He's going to lose this fight. He's going to lose. He's going to lose it because Congress is not going to do actual relief for businesses or people. And he's going to keep fighting. But we don't deserve him. And frankly, I'm not sure we deserve anything at this point after what we've fucking gone through. But at least Bernie Sanders is fighting and he's the only one and he's been the only one and we know he'll continue to be the only one. And that's just pretty fucking sad. So, Zach, I have a couple questions. First, I completely agree that the myth that the American people are better than their government has been shattered forever. I mean, it's not the government that's filling bars with no masks and claiming it's a liberty issue and then making everyone they're in touch sick. I mean, it's, we have become the ultimate bread and circus society. But just a couple of things. My understanding on 
the Democratic concession, which I think should be in quotes, on corporate liability is that it was a 30-day moratorium on it, which is frankly a concession that has no meaning because you can just sue 31 days later. Um, that was my understanding. Is that correct? or, or was Because I didn't think they ever agreed to absolute corporate liability. Uh, they did in the first round of negotiations. It keeps changing because the Republicans keep getting more and more of what they want, giving up barely anything. Right. Get it. And and then the other thing um, is that I think one of the reasons that I mean, and, and there is no question that Bernie has been heroic in this. I mean, there's just no question. But the House, of course, has already passed something that's three trillion dollars. So now the House doesn't really have anything to say. It's all in Nancy Pelosi, who, you know, one of us picked as one of the five worst people in politics. So, um, but I mean, I, I do think that, um, you know, you're right that Bernie's fight on this is both noble and doomed. And you're right that I do think from from what I've been reading, Biden is suddenly has not suddenly, but Biden has realized over the last couple of months where senators are not even acknowledging that he won, that there's just no fucking way to deal with these people. There's just no way Um, they are. It is a it is the Republican Party and obviously the Democratic Party exists to disappoint. But the Republican Party never disappoints. They take the most evil position possible and maintain it forever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you that uh, we do not deserve Bernie Sanders. I'm glad you mentioned Nancy Pelosi. Um, I think there's nothing more, nothing better sort of encapsulates, I think, 2020 than obviously the show of, um, of Mike Pence uh, receiving the vaccine on Good Morning America. Nancy Pelosi also received that vaccine to watch these members of the ruling class um, receive this while the rest of us are watching that same class argue over whether to give working people, out of work people, small business owners, whatever, relief, 600 to $1,200 as, you know, as they struggle to maintain their livelihoods, their mental health. Um, it is simply a travesty that the same people that hold our livelihoods in, our, in, in their very hands are receiving this vaccine while the rest of us are just forced to struggle and um, just hope that they do the right thing, which they never do, it seems, and they, and they, and they won't. Yeah. And, and Biden's you know, deputy chief of staff says, you know, a very true comment, which he said, you can't work with these fuckers. And then we have to deal with pearl clutching from all these people who just had Donald Trump, who were just sycophants for Donald Trump. And yeah, she's right. We can't work with these fuckers. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, them doing the wrong thing, this is the second government shutdown possibly in a pandemic, correct? Yep. Yeah, uh, it's the third. It's the third during the uh, Trump administration. I don't know if the other. I thought that the other two were last year. I mean, eight like nine. Well, I mean, you could technically call the entire administration yeah. pandemic if you want. <laughs> well, we we have we have a a good a good sign of governance uh, is that if every six months the government is on the brink of uh, shutting down, that is usually a sign of a healthy country. On a positive sign. Karen Pence also got the vaccine, so Michael was never never had to be in a room alone with a nurse without mother there. So 
I am going to go kind of away from the pox on both their houses, which is absolutely true, and talk about false equivalency. Last week, as you remember, we had to ask the question. Because Andrew Giuliani, it was unclear where his future lies now that the $90,000 hang around and and putt in his office uh, job was over. But as a son of a rich white guy, I figured he'd be fine. And thank God he is. He managed to land on his feet when he and Nick Luna, the body man for Trump, um, were appointed to the Holocaust Memorial Board and I was reading this in disbelief in the New York Times, and they pointed out that this is that Trump has done to excess what other presidents have done. And they pointed out that uh, Obama, when he left, appointed Valerie Jarrett and Susan Rice to the Kennedy Center board. Now, I remember this happening. The Kennedy Center board had been all white. So he appointed two African-American females, one of whom had been a senior advisor and an assistant to the president in charge of intergovernmental affairs for eight years. And then Susan Rice had been an ambassador to the United Nations and, and from 2009 to 2013 and the head of the NSA from 13 to 17. That's one side. On the other side, Nick Luna, who was the body man and also an actor who starred in the movie Sammy and Sherlock Can't Get Any, which is not even on Rotten Tomatoes. It turns out that Sammy and Sherlock Can't can't Get Anything is about stoners vacationing in a small town. In his LinkedIn profile, Nick Luna says he has a talent for comedy. Um, In case you thought that maybe they couldn't get any heating oil or cooking oil like, you know, the Jews in Israel. And Andrew Giuliani somehow manages to be less impressive. This gap tooth fat boy motherfucker who's been making $90,000 a year to not do anything is now on the board of the Holocaust Memorial. At what point, at what point does the just disgracefulness, the lack of seriousness in which... Our government has operated in the last four years. I mean, Andrew Giuliani wrote, he didn't read the statement. He sure as hell didn't write the statement, but something under his his ex was put out that said that uh, it was an honor to to be appointed by Donald Trump, who, um, who has been, quote, so supportive of our Jewish brothers and sisters, in that this was an important statement about how government has no role in religion. But the fact that this asshole has to, has to sit on the memorial board with Nick Luna in his spray tan, it's not remotely equivalent. The New York Times is a horror show about this. They think that to acknowledge the truth is somehow hurts their reputation for being objective, but the truth isn't objective. The truth is just the truth. And these people disgrace disgrace the Hebrew Memorial uh, Museum Board. I mean, the uh, I'm sorry, the Holocaust Memorial Museum by sitting on its board. It's just 
I know it's a small thing. I know it's nothing given the monstrosity of this administration. It's not 300,000 dead Americans, but it still comes from the same impulse that creates 300,000 dead Americans, the lack of seriousness uh, in terms of the role of the government. Has there been anyone or any organization more disappointing than the New York Times over these last four years? I mean, they just completely sacrificed any journalistic ethics so that Maggie Haberman could get leaks from Donald Trump once a week. Her her refusal to acknowledge that Jared Kushner is a monster just because Jared Kushner links in and might invite her to a party is insane. Also, there's no way Andrew Giuliani doesn't believe that there's a Soros conspiracy or that that Jews control. Like, there's no way he's not a little anti-Semitic, which makes this even worse. But I think you're right. Like, you're right. This isn't the grandest disaster in the series of disasters of the Trump presidency. But you know what? A lot of small puddles make a lake. And this is just another thing of like, that is how corrupt and awful this administration has been, is that you have to pay attention to the boards that people are being appointed to, because even at that level, there's still corruption. If if Chris Farley plays your teenage self on Saturday Night Live, then chances are you're going to be a punchline for the remainder of your life. And that is the legacy of Andrew Giuliani, in my mind. I wonder how many restricted country clubs Andrew Giuliani has played in in his lifetime. All of them. (laughs) And on that topic of, this is a really good transition here, um, of, of rich, mostly white men and their sons, uh, this week is the 26th installment of the PNC Championship, formerly known as the PNC Father-Son Challenge, golf's sixth major. Not really, but um, traditionally, this is a, a flag, flagship kind of silly season event. The PGA Tour season runs forever, and there's usually just like a month where nothing's going on because you can only play golf in what, you know, Florida, Hawaii, whatever. This father-son challenge is historically comprised of like guys, veterans, older players in their 40s and 50s and their and their sons or in, in daughters. In some cases, their stepsons. Um, and it's it's never like two pros, like, you know, a, a pro father and a pro son. Um, everybody's always a good stick. The sons are generally even like the, when they're when they're teenagers. Sometimes you get like a high school kid and I'm a single digit handicap. I, I, I can get around and I've never seen a player in this tournament that wouldn't totally empty my wallet. In recent years, you have younger tour pros play with their fathers who aren't professionals. So you'll have the pro young son and the amateur father this year. And it's not like there's ever many eyes on this event for me as like a hardcore golf junkie. Sometimes I just want to watch some golf in December and this is, this is what's on, you know? So I check it out. Um, this year, there's going to be a lot more eyeballs in this thing. And the reason for that is it is the, I guess, the debut of one, Charlie Woods. Tiger Woods is son. Why is this a, you know, well, it's Tiger Woods' son for one, you know, and who doesn't want to, you know, ESPN, uh, we're showing LeBron James's son, Bronny, uh, his high school basketball team. Well, Charlie James isn't in high school. Uh, Charlie Woods is not in high school. Charlie Woods is um, 11 years old. He's a preteen. He's an adolescent. His father is on the that LeBron, Serena, Jordan level of the the, the microscope is so intense. Tiger all week and Charlie too, because for whatever reason, he's had a microphone in front of him. 
they, they say all the right things. We're just going to have fun. It's a great father-son bonding experience, which I don't doubt for a second. And I'm not here because I'm not a parent. I'm not here to cast aspersions about, you know, Tiger's parenting. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to say that they aren't going to have a, a great bonding experience and it's going to be great. I'm going to tune in this weekend and goddamn, I am going to feel really fucking uncomfortable because this kid's 11 years old and I don't think I'm uncomfortable for him. The spotlight that is going to be upon him. Thoughts? Well, if you feel uncomfortable, then imagine watching him, watching Tiger with Charlie, showing him how to pick up a Denny's waitress, like that, that group of women that he's always chasing after. Um, it is. I mean, first of all, I thought they lived in. I thought the kids lived in Sweden. Didn't, don't they live in Sweden? With the mother? Not full time. No, no. Maybe. no. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is that Charlie Woods, no matter what he does, is never going to live a normal life, just like Gretzky's kids didn't and Bronny doesn't. You're not going to live a normal life. The positive side of that is you're going to inherit $600 million. So there's, 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 you know, there's give and take. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I was watch. I was watching on ESPN somebody breaking down Charlie Woods' swing, and it's like, no, why don't we not do that? Like, why, why don't why don't we let the kid be eleven? Um, but of course, Tiger was on. You know, Tiger was on the Johnny Carson show at four. You know, I mean, so he, it's never going to occur to him that this is not the way kids are raised. It's just never going to occur to him. He was, a, he was on Johnny Carson at four years old. He was, I mean, I remember when he decided to go to, to Stanford because he was kind of famous at 15, 16 years old. So, I mean, I just think it's a different world. I think it shows like how little has changed since Tiger was on Johnny Carson at four. I mean, like you said, Andrew, they have uh, the microphones in front of, you know, Tiger's kid asking, you know, what, he's like nine, right? Or 10. 11, but he's, he's, he looks, 11. He's, a, he's a small 11. He's a, you know, a, asking him questions on ESPN. You know, there's articles written about how he's the star and breaking him down. And it's like, oh, we, in all this time where we've gotten like so much better at realizing of, you know, exploitation and being more aware of exploitation, this is still just a blind spot for people that they're like, no, 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 it's okay to treat this 11 year old as if they're a professional athlete and, and, and it'll be fine. And it's like, no, that kid's 11. Like, just let him go play some golf with his dad. Ask his dad questions. Like, don't ask him questions. To what you both have been saying, um, Podrick Harrington, a contemporary of Tiger's, uh, a top European pro, um, he said this week uh, he's playing with his son, and he said this week that he has been on the range watching the swings of three players. Lee Trevino, Gary Player, Charlie Woods. One of those things is not like the other. And it's just, it's, it's just, it's too much for me. It's too much. With that, we have a little, uh, little guest rant, cameo rant from super producer, Brandon. Brandon, the floor is yours. Yeah, thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, yeah, so when recording this podcast there, you know, not all the time, but many times these stories that I hear during the week and I, I sit and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear these guys rip this up on Sunday. I know this is something they're going to touch. And uh, this week, one of those stories happened and everybody chose not to touch it. So I figured I'd take it in and kind of 
uh, say something that I think is really important for the Bill Bradley Collective and uh, moving forward in social justice. So this week, the blank blank are no longer the blank blank. They are a baseball team based out of Cleveland. Um, they made this decision uh, over backlash. It really started back in 2016 over the Chief Wahoo logo, um, which is really awkward when you read about it. Uh, the baseball team never officially changed the name, but when um, Jim Thorne went into the Hall of Fame, Major League Baseball changed the Chief Wahoo logo on his Hall of Fame plaque, and that really uh, started moving things forward. And then finally in 2019, uh, the baseball team officially phased out that logo, and then now they officially phased out their name. And that's where my rant really is this week, is that I heard this being covered this week. I couldn't wait to hear the pod talk about it this week. And every major news outlet, the New York Times, NPR, of course, Fox News, everybody else, kept saying the name of the team over and over and over again in their reporting. Why is it that a major league baseball team is more politically correct than all of our news media? If, if it's so offensive that a baseball team has changed their name, why is everybody else referring to the word? Yeah, you are right. Like it is weird. I, you know, cause when, when Washington, uh, I mean, years before Washington had changed their name, ESPN made the decision that they were no longer going to say Redskins. They were going to call them Washington. And they did for like about two, two, three years beforehand. Um, And then when they did change the name, they, everyone, Washington, 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 you're right. Like all the articles are Indians, this Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Indians. It's like, wait a minute. What's good for the goose isn't good for the game. And obviously one is a, a, a racial slur. One is a kind of insensitive descriptor of a group of people. Um, I mean, Chief Nakahoma was uh, indefensible as a mascot, as, even though I enjoyed him, even, you know, as a child, I thought it was a funny <laughs> name. Um, but yeah, it, it is weird that like, that they're, that they do keep acknowledging it and they do keep saying that the nickname, um, I think part of it is, I, I'm not sure how many people saw this coming. I mean, I think Atlanta, the Braves were the team that everyone kind of assumed would be the first to change their name not Cleveland. And then it was just kind of like randomly like, Hey, Cleveland changed their name in 2021. Like, I know I saw the headline. I'm like, what the hell is this about? Like, I didn't know this was even being discussed. <laughs> I, I was, I mean, the, the federal government has a Bureau of Indian affairs. You know, um, the, I know the woman who is in charge of all of the, uh, she's the president of the union for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, it's a federal union. It's the only federal union AFT has. And she says the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Like, I don't, it's never said, like, nobody says, you know, it's the I word. I was kind of surprised. Obviously, it is not my place to make this decision. Um, but it, you're right, Zach. It was like, the reason, the reason I didn't think to comment on it is it's kind of surrounded in this unreality. It's like, you knew Washington was going to change their name. That was horrifying. Yeah. Or St. John's. That was horrifying. This is, I just, I mean, it's fine, but man, I, I mean, uh, I don't know what they're going to call themselves. Um, but uh, it's significantly less offensive than, you know, our hometown that I grew up in, in Derby, whose nickname was the Red Raiders and yeah. the logo was an Indian. Like, that is offensive. Indians, yeah. I'm like, oh, I guess. Like, that's weird. That's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Montville, neighboring Montville is referred to the it's the Montville Indians. Am I am I wrong? Is that not their high school? Killingly changed the name and it was so controversial that um, 
that the Senate, the, the candidates in the local political races refused to take a stand on it. The Democrats did. The Republicans, of course, said, no, we got to go back to what it like it when I was a kid. But um, yeah, it's yeah, it just seems like in the list of horrifying nicknames, uh, uh, you know, nicknames, that's fairly far down. But OK. Well, Ed, speaking of nicknames, well, I was also looking this up and Google around a little bit. I also looked up like, you know, a little bit of the history of the uh, Cleveland baseball team. And they used to be called the Cleveland Naps, which I was like, oh, they just take an extra long seventh inning stretch. Take a quick snooze. That's a that's a great team. Unfortunately, it was based off of uh, Napoleon, which would be probably even more problematic. It was Napla Joy. It was their best player. The Cleveland Spiders are the worst team ever in professional baseball. They were 15 and 137. So, or 139. So I think that's what it should be. It should be the Spiders. They're going to get all that Marvel uh, Spider-Man money coming in from the MCU. (laughs) Everybody's got to get a sponsor these days. Everyone's getting a cut of the scratch. All right. And on that note, we'll be right back after this. Beauty. Grace. Elegance. There's no question that the horse is God's finest creation, unmatched in style, capability, and strength. Now, that strength and beauty can be yours with horse milk. Packed with vitamin H, horse milk not only promotes strong bones, but also improves hair growth, bedroom performance, vertical and horizontal leap distance, muscle tone, and breath smell. Buy your Ziploc bag of horse milk today. Say nay to bovine bile and hay to horse milk. So welcome back. We are going to be exercising our veto rights over things that we think should no longer exist or never exist in sports and politics. But because we're not gods or emperors or Trump, we have the right to have that veto overridden. So if the other two believe that the veto is inappropriate, they can override the veto. And what we will be doing is making our case. And I'm going to go first because I am going to talk about something in golf that's even dumber than the father and son tournament. And by the way, during the commercial, and this is absolutely true, I checked Twitter and what, what uh, Charlie Wood eagled the par five by hitting a fairway wood 175 yards within four feet of the, of the hole and tapping it in for, for eagle. I hate Wait, that how, so much. How far did he hit it? 175. He had a fairway wood 175, put it within four feet of the hole and tapped it in for eagle. You know, I take back everything I said during the rant. I want to screw, put every microphone in front of that kid's face. <laughs> right. Let's crush his spirit early. So what's even dumber than father and son once a year thing is pretty much every tur- tournament has a pro-am day, which I guess exists so that we don't forget about Bill Murray for an entire week. But what it usually is, is some lip dick right winger is and local lumber salesman or whatever is dragged onto the course and they get to walk, walk around with 
you know, Phil Mickelson. And so you could hear Jim Nance or whoever's doing the Wednesdays on the, on the golf channel say, you know, Andre Tippett's going to try to chip in for a nine from the bunker. Andre Tippett, by the way, does play in the GHO, um, in the GHO Pro-Am days, because, you know, when you think celebrities, Andre Tippett. Here's my favorite quote about uh, Pro-Am days. Back from the early, early aughts, when uh, the Travelers was called the Sammy Davis Jr. Greater Hartford Open. <laughs> Someone said about Sammy Davis Jr., the candy man had a problem with alcohol that for many years affected, but never blocked his commitment to play in the Pro-Am. That's what Pro-Ams are. Drunken, one-eyed Sammy Davis Jr. wandering around, hitting wedges near the green. Why do Pro-Am days exist? They don't exist in any other sport. Let's get rid of all Pro-Am days. If the local, you know, if the local Chamber of Commerce wants to play on the course, rent, you know, just pay the green fees like every other schmuck. I'm I'm in agreement with this veto. Um, I don't understand pro-ams because it's never like like in my mind, it should be, you know, the pro-am, the NHL pro-am. Ty Domi should go out there and just beat the ever loving shit out of some like sea level, you know, musician and just be like, you're playing hockey, man. I'm sorry. I'm a goon. I got to take you out. Like, it's, you know, but, but that never happens. Instead, it's always like flag football yeah, or like I want to see Araldis Chapman throwing a hundred and five mile an hour fastball right past, you know, Drake Bell, the, you know, in the pro ham. <laughs> I'm going to make this uh, unanimous. I'm with both of you. This will be vetoed from the record. Um, these pro-ams function. The reason why these tour players, the highest level play for the exorbitant pur- purses that they do is due in large part to these pro-ams and doing, I mean, there's a whole tournament, an entire tournament at Pebble beach every year is the entire event is a pro-am. Um, amateurs are playing on Sundays um, with pros and a lot of top pros, despite it being Pebble Beach, despite it being, you know, this large purse, this big event, a lot of pros don't want to play. They don't want to play because with the amateurs, they, they're playing six-hour fucking rounds. Um, again, uh, I don't – when I tune in to watch golf, I don't need to watch somebody that I could beat. You know what I mean? I, I have no interest in seeing Andre Tippett or – Bill Murray's shtick is great and whatever, and I've seen him in Hartford in person. I've seen it once. That's enough. Um, yeah, death, death to the pro am. Yeah, pro pro ams are fireworks. You see them once, you go, okay, that's what it is. We're good. <laughs> right. right. All right. What's up next? All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna move to my veto. I'm gonna go uh, with another sports related veto. Uh, I believe that we should abolish uh, the div- the division systems in all pro sports and the conference systems in college sports. Uh, divisions and conferences at the college level are just holdovers from when sports were like a regional entity. I mean, it doesn't even matter anymore now. You have teams in the you know Southwest being part of the Central and teams in the East being part of the West. It, it's all a mess. It doesn't make any sense. All it does is serve to put the Washington football team, the New York Giants, in the NFL playoffs at 6-8, and eight, meaning they're the 12th best team in the NFC, but they get a home game. 
and, and then you know you have conferences like five and oh uh uh ohio state getting into the playoffs purely because they're a big 10 team beating out you know coastal carolina beating out cincinnati these other teams that are more worthy of it uh, I, I just think that this is a holdover um, of a time that no longer exists and has been so whittled down that it's kind of meaningless. Um, we should just have in professional sports, two conferences, the best best teams from those conferences go. And in college, just a free for all. No divisions, no conferences. Uh, everyone's an independent. No, you know, it takes away the profit motive from the Big, t- uh, big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC to do things like they're doing now because they're going to make all this money from TV deals. Uh, we should just have... have College football, no conferences, professional sports, no divisions. That is my veto. I'm vetoing those. I'm going to vote to override that veto. Um, I think, first of all, the greatest thing that ever existed on Earth was the Con Smythe division. Because you have to think about who Con Smythe was. I think that they That's true. hockey lost a lot when they didn't do that. I do think that in some sports, the regional aspect works. I think it does in hockey. I think that, you know, some of those home and home games when teams just really, really, really grow to hate each other is fun. Um, the Canadian Bruins rivalry. I think in football, the um, especially college football, like Cincinnati doesn't get to play for anything meaningful ever if there isn't the American Athletic Conference. Plus, we are in, in non-COVID times, the greatest fantasy league that ever existed when trying, we, we have to pick divisional teams. I mean, teams eight different conferences. I don't want to give that up. I kind of like the regions. I'm glad that they've got geography back. It used to drive me crazy when the Atlanta Braves were in the NL West um, because Atlanta is in Western Georgia, but that's not West. But I kind of like the regional nature of some of these games. And I like, I, I like the, fact that football have to play some teams twice i think that's fun so i think i'm gonna vote to override the veto okay so i am going to second the move to veto hey all right Um, thank you kevin thank you kevin mccarthy i mean i look at it like obviously i think uconn's uconn as an example their biggest rival historically to me is syracuse it's the team i hate the most and they haven't been in the same conference for almost a decade yet they've still found a way to play um they've still found a way to play most most years out of conference um because of the history ohio state's still going to play michigan duke's still going to play north carolina it's just not going to be a proper conference game. And to me, it comes down to there's so much geographical illogic in professional ranks and collegiate ranks to, to how these align. I mean, think for how the NFC East before the NFL went to went to four divisions in each conference I mean, the NFC East, the St. Louis Cardinals moved to Phoenix, yet the Phoenix Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals still for years played in the NFC East against the likes of the Eagles, the football team, the Giants, the Cowboys were always in the East. How does how does Dallas how does how do they characterize as East as it is? Um, I'm I'm with you, Zach. Let's feed it. Right. So sorry to our our fans of the Washington football team, but you're out of luck. Divisions vetoed. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my first veto. 
And this would, I feel like a couple years ago, this would be much more, um, I mean, I still like the slam dunk, but I'd like to veto the, um, the rule that prohibits high school seniors upon graduation having to, uh, the rule said they have to wait a year before they enter the NBA draft. I would like to veto said rule. Um, I think upon graduation, they should be automatically eligible for the NBA draft. I never quite understood the logic behind instilling that rule in the first place. And I get that for every sort of um, Jonathan Bender, every Sebastian Telfair, well, there's a LeBron James. There's a Kevin Garnett. There's a Moses Malone. There's a there's a, a Jermaine O'Neal. Kobe um, Bryant. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's about trying to keep uh, college basketball afloat. I, I, I think it's made, I think it's watered down college basketball. You have one coach that's who I happen to think is kind of like in this terrain of guys that are all, that are all full of shit. I think John Calipari is the most transparently full of shit. If that makes sense, uh, where he's embraced the one and done. And he said, as long as they're eligible, I'm going to take them on. And I'm going to do my best to get them to the pros. Um, the rule is it's 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 just it's absurd to me how somebody that is uh, legally able to enter any other workforce uh, is prohibited to do so. If they're if if, if 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 the talent that they excel at happens to be basketball, uh, let's veto the uh, the one the one year uh, bridge there. Let's veto that. I agree. Um, I would say that the rule that if you tried to play in the NBA and could not, that you don't get to play college is kind of stupid. And I do think it's a little less important now because the G League exists and you can go right to the G League. But what would Kevin Garnett have learned in the G League? You know, I mean, he would have learned... He would have learned where to, you know, where to go if you're an African American in Albany, like that, or something like that. Like that's what he would have learned. He wouldn't have learned anything. Um, so I agree. I I understand that people, the, the guys lost any opportunity to play because of that. Sebastian Telfer is a great example, but now basketball. I mean, that's from a different time. Basketball's now worldwide. There's multiple leagues, even in this country. Uh, You can make a good living playing basketball outside of the NBA. You're not going to make as good a living, but of course, you can still make a good living and find your way back to the league. So I think that's a rule whose time has passed. I'm very (sighs) – I'm a little more conflicted on this than I thought I would be because – I gave you a vote, man. Come on. I know. (laughs) If anyone wants to know how politics works, this is log rolling at its best right here. Um, Uh, Because I – because on its face, I mean, I respect it as a lobbyist. Um, on its face, this is something I agree with because it, 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 the one-year system is so stupid. It's so bad. All it does is allow Coach K to have this moral high ground that he does not deserve and John Calipari to just openly be like, yeah, I'm a crook. Do something about it. And I love that. I love John Calipari just being like, oh, you're going to make a stupid rule? I will do the worst part of that. I will tell people you are here for one year, but on the other hand, it does nothing. It does nothing. I mean, it, it's a year more for them to get injured. It's a year more for them to uh, uh, run a foul of NCAA 
insane rules and then lose. I, 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 I think at the end of the day, I'm going to uphold, I'm going to, I'm going to uphold this veto. I, uh, if any, if anything, just cause I'm not necessarily sure people should go from high school to pro sports, but I certainly know the one year rule isn't doing anything other than making, you know, John Calipari an extra $10 million a year. All right. Well, I'm going, my next veto is also college basketball adjacent. I mean, it's mine's completely college basketball. Yours is college basketball adjacent. We need to get rid of the NIT, the National Invitational Tournament, or as we like to call it in this state, the Kevin Ali Memorial Tournament, because it gives UConn easy. It gives UConn player an extra three weeks to or two weeks, or actually sometimes just one week to not go to class. But I understand in the 30s and 40s, it was a wonderful thing. In the 30s and 40s, slide rules were popular. We don't use slide rules anymore. Why do we have the NIT? There are 68 teams to make the tournament. Now, I understand it's not really the 69th through 101st best teams in the NIT because big conferences are, you know, get to send some of their lower ranked teams there. But do we really want to have a tournament that rewards the team that finishes fifth in the big 12, like, is that really, or actually not even like eighth in the big 12, the university of Texas has won the last two NITs. Our entire culture is based on rewarding mediocrity. The NIT is simply a celebration of the mediocre. We do not need it. It's an embarrassment to us. It's an embarrassment and we should just get rid of it. You can do the preseason tournament, except do the preseason tournament someplace warm. Do it in Maui. Why are you in New York? No, I know that they originally was like, well, that's because it's the center of the basketball universe. New York's not the center of the basketball universe. Just isn't. So, I mean, we have the Knicks. It's not the center of the national uh, universe. So let's get rid of the NIT completely. And sorry, UConn, you don't get to go. See, the NIT uh, is something that I hold near and dear to my heart uh, for one very, very specific reason, which is when I was a waiter at Applebee's, uh, Kemba Walker came in and was just the biggest asshole, the biggest dickhead. Uh, he left me no tip. Now, by the way, I earned that no tip because of this. I've heard which this is story when, so many times. <laughs> which is that when I dropped off his check, I dropped it off and I said, hey, man. I really hope you guys get exactly as far as you got last year. And the year before that, they had lost to Virginia in the NIT tournament. And I was using that to insult him and using this tournament as a cudgel against the guy who is now a multimillionaire who would now root for every game because he played for the Celtics. It, it, it's a sense of nostalgia, but I'm not sure that's enough to keep it. Although I really do love this kind of losers tournament. It, it's it, you get you get to see like you get to see a Mac team have some fun. You know, George Mason's not making the tournament every year. You get to see them go deep in the NIT. I, I, I think I'm going to I'm going to vote to override it. I, I, I we need the NIT, if nothing more than a cudgel to insult uh, future NBA players with when they don't make the tournament. <laughs> I am. I am deep, deeply conflicted, and I feel personally attacked here, needlessly, um, <laughs> because it was it was 1989, 1989. UConn won the NIT. The next year, they went to went to the Elite Eight. They lost on a Christian Leitner buzzer beater, and after that, though, they were off to the races. Four national titles later, yada yada yada, whatever. The NIT 
is the one thing that it does is so a lot of uh, they call them like like bid stealers. So many conferences across America are just there. It's one just get one team in the smaller conferences. And there's like, there's like 20 of them that only get one team and the team that wins the conference tournament, a one and done three, four day thing. That's the team that, that gets to the NCAA tournament every year. There's, there are normally several cases where a team in a small, let's just say that the Southern conference or the trans athletic, whatever, they are the dominant team in that conference. They win. They win the conference by two, three, four games, but they get in the turn the conference tournament, one and done. Uh, have an off night, and that team that dominated for three, four months, then has no postseason. And some team that just kind of toils in mediocrity gets hot for three days, and then gets served up to a Duke or a Gonzaga, when the team that really deserves that is the. Uh, the team that they beat in that conference tournament. What the NIT does is that it takes every regular season champion of those small conferences and it gives them the NIT. It gives them something. So while the NIT is generally comprised of, yes, those, uh, they call it the bubble, the teams that weren't good enough to crack the bubble and get in the tournament as at-large teams, it does include um, those smaller schools that frankly deserve a shot at like, a game on national TV, a game against a high-profile, bigger conference opponent. Um, to me, that's the only—that's t- literally the only upside of the NIT, and it's kind of enough for me to. Uh, we're gonna uphold the NIT. <laughs> Keep the NIT. So Is that, uh, that's our second second absolutely. override. It's an, it's our first override, and you know what? Applebee's should be the sponsor of the NIT. <laughs> Shitty food for shitty basketball. Apple here. here. <laughs> yes, Mike. My, 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 all the microwavable pasta you could eat. <laughs> so, so for my uh, my second uh, veto, I'm going to take a walk over to politics, and I'm going to walk into the Capitol building, and I am going to abolish the U.S. Senate. I believe we should veto the existence of the U.S. Senate. I feel like uh, as a Connecticut resident, as a lifelong Connecticut resident with the uh, shield tattooed on me, uh, that since the original creation of the Senate is called the Connecticut Compromise, that it is only fitting that the end of the Senate should come from Connecticut as well. Uh, the Senate is often considered the, the the coaster that cools the tea. That is what um, George Washington referred to it as because it was where all the rabble rousers of the people's house, that they would simply come to this grander house, the upper chamber, and the upper chamber would just do what's right. And we have seen that, you know, and when that was made and there were 13 states and they were all white and the only people who could vote were white males because black people were considered property so they couldn't vote yeah i'm sure that that system worked out fine for white people but now we have a country of 325 million that's very diverse and there are 20 states that do not have the population of california but those 20 states have 40 senate votes and california has two and in those 40 states they have a a population of people of color of like 4%, whereas California is obviously a higher population. So it has become this, this, this body that only really serves 
the, the kind of the economic interests of the state, which are almost entirely white, wealthy people rather than like the actual interests of the state. Um, I believe we should abolish the Senate, go to a unicameral system. Uh, it works in Nebraska. You know, they're fine. They gave us Ben Sass, um, hey, our moral hey, leader. Hey, hey. And also, big red, big if we red. abolish the Senate, if we abolish the Senate, we get rid of Ben Sass. It's a win-win. And uh, so I'm going to veto uh, the saucer that cools the tea that is the United States Senate. I uh, I don't think there's anything to say. I completely 100% agree. Uh, it would give – it would make presidential elections more fun because representatives – with the ambition, we'd only have one place to go. So we'd have lots yes. of people running. That would be really <laughs> exciting. But anything that gets us, anything that could eliminate yeah. Ben Sass, Rand Paul, Mitch McConnell, and Diane Feinstein in one piece of paper, I am for. Yeah, this is unanimous. Uh, and, I, and I think you mentioned, and, and she's been a, a target of this podcast, um, right now in California. Um, you've got like obviously Vice President Elect or Vice President Harris, and Diane Feinstein is like the sole senator in like this fucking enormous state. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It it, it it's yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's completely illogical, ridiculous. I, just get rid of it. Quick, quick story on Diane Feinstein is she was actually going to resign. Uh, she was a county supervisor in San Francisco. Uh, she served with Harvey Milk, and she was going to resign and step down because of a lack of future, and she was pretty unpopular. And then Harvey Milk was killed by another county supervisor, which then made Diane Feinstein mayor of San Francisco, and then launched a career into the U.S. Senate, uh, and which has led to where we have it now. So if we had just abolished the Senate, that never happens. <laughs> I mean, Harvey Milk probably still gets killed, but we, we don't have Diane Feinstein. Yeah. I remember her first campaign slogan is, I'm the city councilor who doesn't kill people. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big bumper sticker. Andrew. All right. So... <clears throat> All right, we'll go in order here. I move to um, veto the college football playoff. Clap now, Zach. Clap now, but hear me out. Obviously, it's it's a joke. It's a it's a it's it's it seeks it seeks to do this thing. It seeks to crown a quote unquote legitimate college football champion a, a, a one a unified a, a unanimous champion college football i don't want to i don't want to just merely abolish veto the college football playoff let's go back in time let's abolish the bcs let's abolish the bowl coalition the bowl alliance let's abolish let's veto pretty much the last 30 years of college football seeking to crown one sole national champion. Let's take it back to 1990 and before. Give me the bowl system or give me death. Give me a Rose Bowl that every year is Big Ten, Pac-12. Give me, and I, I know I 
now I know that I'm contradicting myself with the conferences, but we're actually going back in time. We're going back 30 years. So whatever. Um, give me, you know, for forever, forever, you'd have the media vote on uh, uh, the polls. The, you have a coaches poll, you have a media poll, the AP poll and the whatever it is now ESPN coaches poll, whatever. There were many split champions. Uh, I believe the last year pre the BCS Brandon zone, Nebraska were co-national champions with Michigan. Michigan was entitled to the Rose Bowl yeah, because of the Big Ten affiliation. One of my biggest problems with the Big Ten. Well, Nebraska, yeah, you bring me, that up. I have to say, one of my biggest problems with the Big Ten because when they brought Nebraska into the Big Ten, Michigan should have been their rivals for that reason, and they're not, not even rivals for at that, all. For that sort of game like that should have. It's the only relevance we have with that. We split our national championship. Our national championship. But... but I, I acknowledge you as national champion. I acknowledge that Michigan team. And and again, yes, of course, I would love to see you guys have taken a crack at Greasy and Charles Woodson and that great Michigan team. But the history of college football, the fabric of college football, I think I've said this before. Bo Schembechler once said, said the Michigan, the goal for his Michigan team is to win the Big Ten and to win the Rose Bowl. Let the chips fall where they may. I don't believe, I, I, I believe, I believe I believe in a mythological national champion for college football. And if, if, if you want to, if you want to delete veto the college football playoff, you must stand with me and we must go back in time where we do not actually crown one sole national champion. We may the voters, the, the whatever polls, whatever may all select the same team, but there is such a thing as a split national champion in college football. So here's the thing I like about the playoffs. Imagine how intolerable Lincoln Riley would be if we didn't have a vehicle to see his team get beat by 40 points once a year in the playoffs. Like, Also, I kind of like the idea that there are five major conferences, but there's only four teams. So it's like a game of musical chairs and the Pac-12 always ends up on the outside. That's always fun. Um, it's close, but I think I'm going to override the V. I'm going to vote to override it because it would be weird that the only sport in the NCAA that doesn't have a championship game is the most popular sport that they have. I mean, that's just kind of, that's kind of weird. It would be like if the Ford Focus is, or the Ford Taurus, which is the most popular brand, doesn't come with airbags. I mean, it just seems like an odd thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uphold a veto here. I, I think that uh, the plan works. Uh, the, the college football system is terrible. We need more. Uh, you, you know, we get rid of this. This system doesn't work. I'm I'm for the veto. Get rid of it. I was being a, a bit tongue in cheek. Um, the main target is the college football playoff, and I think um, I think Zach and I and Brandon we've talked about this. There, the Power Five. There is no chance for an undefeated team from say the Mountain West or the American to even have a seat at this table. The entire selection process too, where it's. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it like Condoleezza Rice was among those that were like selecting these teams? It was Condoleezza Rice. She was on. She was the chairman. chairman? Absurd. You can get Stanford in. Right. (laughs) (laughs) She's got no stroke. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, we have now 
only I had anything vetoed, uh, had a veto overridden, something I'm very proud of. It makes me the FDR of this podcast because I've had the most vetoes overridden. Um, And with that, we will say have a wonderful holiday, and we will see you next week on the Bill Bradley Collective. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. Please engage us on Facebook at Bill Bradley Collective. And do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform. Thanks again. Thanks again.